In confusion and uncertainty, there emerges a guiding light, a beacon that cuts through the darkness. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Friday edition of Beacon of Truth. I am your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, this has been a great first week. I'm so grateful to so many of the EWTN family and uh, also uh, uh, other people, um, even non-Catholics, who have reached out to me in social media and email and and uh, the, my friends with text messages uh, just uh, really thanking me, congratulating me. But, you know, Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give the glory, all glory to God. Uh, I've been having so much fun this week. It's, it's great to be with you. And again, the purpose of the show is to help bring people to a deeper love and intimacy with Jesus Christ, uh, something that, that's very lacking, sadly, in our culture, in our world. And let's be real, even our church today, I mean, not just knowing Jesus, like, oh, I know stuff about the Bible, but no, knowing Jesus deeply, personally, intimately, falling in love with him. And we do that here on Beacon of Truth by speaking the truth of the Catholic faith in love, as Paul says to do in Ephesians 4.15. Because why is the truth important? Because truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not an idea. Truth is not something you form in your mind. Truth is a person. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And that truth sets us free, free to become the person who God created and calls each one of us to be. Uh, love to hear from you today. Give us a call, 833-288-3986. Again, that's 833 833- 288-3986, or you can email us at beacon at EWTN.com. Today's topic is faith after a fall. So is your personal sin greater than God's forgiveness? Because after a fall, look, Jesus fell three times on his way to the cross. He fell, and he got up, and he kept moving. For the rest of us, we sometimes fall. On our journey through life, on this pilgrimage through life, we fall, we sin, we transgress, either venially or mortally. But God, in his great love and his incredible divine mercy, has given us the gift of his forgiveness. But sometimes, even when we've been forgiven, the hardest person to forgive often is yourself. So, again, is your personal sin greater than God's forgiveness? And we'll look at that in light of uh, David and uh, the greatest king in the history of Israel. Uh, Acts of the Apostles says he's a man after God's own heart. But look what happened in 2 Samuel 11 uh, 11 and 12, (laughs) the whole thing with Bathsheba. Uh, Come on now. David, greatest king in the history of Israel. Why? Because he never worshipped another god. But he was also sinful. He was also weak. And despite that, God was able to use him for his glory. And the same 
thing is true of us. Never think that you are worthless. Never think that you are loved. Never think that God cannot do great things in you and through you if you cooperate freely, lovingly, and willingly with his holy will in your life. And I also want to mention in there on this topic, faith after a fall, the incredible gift of God's divine mercy. With us today, we have our show team, Charles Beery, a social media expert, our call screener, Matt Gabinski, and Ace, how low can you go? Death Row, <laughs> what our brother know. Isn't that what it's, isn't it Ace? <laughs> ch- ch- changing it up every day now, I love it. Yeah, man, it's actually, it's Base, that's from Public Enemy. Yes. Uh, but uh, but it's not Ace, but I, I thought it'd be fun to change it up today. So how you doing today? I'm good, man. I love this topic because and and you you hit right on the middle of the bullseye. I think for so many of us is that we can't forgive ourselves. We waste energy trying to reconcile to those either situations or people that we did wrong, and then we don't have any energy to put back into our faith, to expand our walk with God to see how he sees us. Because again, he uses our biggest falls to make us better if we let it. But it's the wasted energy. It's the how we see ourselves from our lowest point, and we never seem to allow ourselves to forgive within ourselves so that we can move on. Uh, exactly right. Exactly right. Well said. You know, and, I, and I've been thinking um, not just about faith after a fall, but a particular kind of fall. I was listening to um, uh, Living Color yesterday as I was uh, uh, trying to get some things done around the house Um and I was listening to one of my favorite songs by them. It's called Funny Vibe. Mm, great song. You know, and, and it, yeah, it, 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 it's, I love it because it's a, a great mix of rock. And then you got Vernon Reed with that funk break during the verses. Yep. And then he comes back with a wicked solo in there. And uh, I just love the whole vibe of that song. Um, but, but when you listen to the lyrics, you know, and uh, gosh, it, it, that song hits me because I felt what they're singing about. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to hurt you. It's, a, it's about... When, when, when people see you and they see a stereotype of you, they, they see uh, uh, a caricature of you, and they don't see you the way God sees you. They don't look at you through God's eyes. They don't see God's image and likeness in the person standing in front of them. Mm-hmm. And that's what our song is about. Like, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to rob you. I'm not going to rape you. I'm not going to kill you. You know, um, he's just, it's the angst that so many of us people of color feel sometimes. Um, when we feel, uh, you know, p- people are scared of us just simply because of our color or of our attitude or whatever it is without really getting to know the person uh, the way God sees them. You know, I was, I was thinking about that yesterday um, and, and how that, you know, that the, the racism is a sin, yeah. you know, or, or even, and even, even if it's not racism, say it's just prejudice. You know, you have preconceived notions about someone. These are things that we need to really take an honest look within ourselves and say, you know what, uh, I'm better than this. My faith in Jesus Christ is greater than than what I'm experiencing right now. What or or uh, one of the big lessons that I've learned in my life, um, the 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 things that happened in my past helped shape me mm-hmm. into the person I am today. But my past does not determine my future. You know, a deep Intimate relation with Jesus Christ is what the term is my future. Yeah. Well, and there's a great quote. It's a Walt Whitman quote, but most of us know it from pop culture because of the Ted Lasso series, which is uh, be curious, not judgmental. Mm. 
And I think it's not just in how we are towards other people, but even towards ourselves. Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Why am I thinking about the things I think about? Why am I hungry for this and not that? Like being curious about ourselves, at least I can speak for myself. When I'm curious about me, I get to know me better. And if I'm taking time in those questions and asking them to God, he can help me decipher, well, that's flesh, that's flesh, that's me, that's me. So I can distinguish between what is hanging over me because of my own habits and hangups versus God going, will you just give it to me? Like, it's, 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 I'll give all of this to you, except this little thing, and then I'll hold on to it because I think I can correct that. No, no, no. That's the one thing that's tied to all the other things that we need to let go of. Right, and that's and that's what God needs. He needs all of us, Amen. not just part of us, not just the part of us that we're afraid to let go, not just the the part that we're uh, uh, um, that we're holding back of ourselves because we don't want to we want to don't want to show too much of our hand. Yeah, you know, um, you know, and because that's something that that has to be developed and built is trust in any relationship. Remember, God is inviting us into a relationship of loving communion and intimacy, and that relationship takes trust. Mm. And I think a lot of the times we don't trust God enough. Yeah. You know, it's bad enough we don't trust yourself, but I think sometimes we don't trust God enough uh, on our on our journey and, and walk of faith. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, speaking of that too, you know, I, walking in faith, I'm going to be flying in faith <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I start a uh, uh, you know, kind, of, kind of the busiest stretch of travel for me for the entire year uh, because Lent starts next week. And so uh, I'll be heading out to Waco, Texas uh, tomorrow for my first parish mission. Of, well, it's a pre-Lenten mission, obviously, but, but of this, of this uh, forthcoming season of, of Lent. And if you want to check out my speaking schedule where I'll be for the next uh, five, six weeks uh, on the road, just go to deaconharold.com and click on Schedule in the header. And you can see all the places where I've been. Again, I'd love to meet you in person if you come to one of those engagements. And again, I lo- always love meeting members of the EWTN family. And uh, people are just interested. Even if you're not Catholic, come out and see you. I'd, I'd love to meet you. So our topic today is Faith After a Fall. And the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, our last introduction to the Psalms. Uh, give us a call if you want to be part of the conversation, 833 833- 288-3986 or email us beacon at ewtn.com Bounce, Bounce hey. with me <laughs> yeah, love that. Love that. That is from our producer, Ace McKay, and I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and you're listening to Beacon of Truth. Our topic today is faith after a fall, and you can give us a call at 833-288-3986 to be part of the conversation or email us, beacon at ewtn.com. 
Yeah, we want to also let you know that uh, over the weekend, maybe while you're, instead of maybe watching the Super Bowl, catching up on demand, easy to do with either episodes of Beacon of Truth or anything that's going on when it comes to TV and also radio. Check us out when you download our mobile app or also check us out, EWTN.com, and simply click On Demand to catch up on what's happening. means one thing it means we're ready to talk about the psalms and uh we're gonna do some diving into the psalms starting next week and i thought for this week this first week of the show it would be a great idea to introduce people to the psalms talk about their structure a little bit about their history a little bit about um, the personal connection that god is trying to make through us through these beautiful hymns and songs of praise so this week we talked about the fact uh, that uh, God is trying to connect with us deeply through these hymns of praise. That is from the Sefer Telechim in Hebrew, the book of sung praises. Uh, this was the hymnal, if you will, used by the Jewish people in their worship. We talked about the different types of psalms. We talked about the Todah or the Thanksgiving psalms and the uh, uh, Hallel or praise psalms. We talked about the Messianic psalms of fulfillment, which we'll be breaking open uh, all throughout the show uh, over the next few weeks and months. Uh, we talked about the brief liturgical history of the Psalms and the different writers of the Psalms and the different um, um, members of the musical guild who put music to the Psalms. And that's something very interesting, by the way. We don't really, obviously there's no recording equipment back then, but we don't really have a sense. I mean, you, you can find some things on YouTube, but those are really just um, guesses as to what music, you know, what the, 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 the rhythm and the lyric, the, the, the cadence would have been like for singing some of these psalms. You know, the, the, um, the header in the psalms do, does give us some clue um, as to the um, instrumentation, you know, uh, on the lyre, on the eighth chord. You know, as it tells what kind of instruments were used, and it says, you know, um, it's supposed to sound like this tune, like the do, the do, the do at daybreak, but we don't know what the do of daybreak sounded like. So yeah, you know, so we just have some uh, some speculation given the instruments and how they were used. You can find some best guesses of the psalms, but um, uh, it would have been glorious to hear how they actually would have sung them. That would have been beautiful. So I just want to end today by. Uh, just talking about some a few interesting things uh, about the Psalms. Um, uh, for example, there are three Psalms. Well, for, okay, I'm talking with the context now of the Liturgy of the Hours, or the Divine Office, which uh, which priests and deacons and monks and nuns and all kinds of people pray. And in fact, if you're not praying it yourself, you really should consider praying. It's not just something that that um, religious people do. This is something that's a gift from God. This is something that we can all pray, um, that we can all, um, you know, deepen our faith with through these psalms. So there are three of the psalms, Psalm 78, 105, and 106, that are only um, prayed, in, again, in the Liturgy of the Hours during Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter. Because they throw a very special light on Old Testament history of salvation as the forerunner, as the precursor to its fulfillment in the New Testament, in 
the fullness of that revelation who is Jesus Christ, right? So, and there's uh, three psalms that are not included at all <laughs> in the in the liturgy of the hours. Uh, psalms fifty eight, eighty three, and one hundred nine. These are called imprecatory psalms or cursing psalms. Uh, and, uh, and okay, they they don't actually curse like use bad language kind of cursing, um, but these are um, uh, you know they could be a little rough, um, uh, you know. And, I, and I'll, I'll I'll read you part of Psalm fifty eight in a second. But there's also parts of other psalms, Psalms one hundred and ten, Psalm sixty nine, where you see that certain verses are skipped, like it'll say verses one through eight and then twelve through fifteen. Well, what happened to those other verses in the middle? Well, those are kind of like little curses in there. So, so let me let me give you an example. Psalm fifty-eight, um, here. Uh, the wicked go. This is starting at verse four. Psalm fifty-eight. So the header says here, for the choir master, intoned like, do not destroy a michtam of David. So, okay. So for the choir master. So that means that David wrote this psalm, and then he gave it to one of the choir masters to put music to it. And he wanted it in tone like, do not destroy. So obviously there was a, a, there was a, 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 some kind of hymn or song called Do Not Destroy. And David wanted this psalm to sound like that. But of course, we don't know what that sounded like. And it says, a miktam of David. So there's certain words used here in the header of the psalm, um, uh, miktam, maskil. Uh, miktam means thing that covers that's not what it meant when this psalm was written, when David wrote the psalm. In fact, we don't know what that word meant or, or how it was used at the time of David. So there's still some very beautiful yet mysterious things about the psalms. But So starting at Psalm 4, the wicked go astray from the womb, deviant from birth they speak lies. Their venom is like the venom of the snake. They, they are like the deaf viper stopping its ears, lest... They should hear the snake charmer's voice, the voice of the skillful dealer in spells. And, and, so that's not, hey, wait, wait a minute, that's not so bad. Okay, here we go. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like a woman's miscarriage that never sees the sun. Ouch. Okay, so, so what happened here is that when, um, after the Second Vatican Council, when the, um, the liturgy of the hours or the breviary was redone for some reason, well, as you can hear, Pope Paul VI took out these imprecatory Psalms and parts of others. Now, um, I myself pray the full Psalter. Um, so I use Psalm 58, 83 and 109 when I'm praying the Psalms as part of the four week cycle. So when a Psalm is doubled, like if you're praying a Psalm two or three times, during that four-week period, I, I insert Psalms 58, 83, and 109. And I feel justified in doing that because if you read St. Augustine's commentary on the Psalms, he uh, talks about looking at these imprecatory Psalms or these cursing Psalms in the light of Christ, overcoming the power of sin. So, for example, let the wicked, let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, the woman's miscarriage that never sees the sun. So Christ came to destroy the effects of sin. And so, yes, when, when, when sin is destroyed, let it be like the snail dissolves in the slime, the, you know, that, that kind of thing. So we have to read it uh, with and through the eyes of Christ's full revelation in conquering the power of sin and death in our lives. That's the way that I look at and read these in imprecatory psalms.
Um, one thing you'll also notice that there's a little bit uh, of a different numbering. Sometimes you'll see, for example, Psalm 58 in the parentheses, Psalm 57. Um, that's because there's a difference in the numbering between what's called the Masoretic text or the Jewish rendering of the Psalms and the Septuagint or the Greek rendering of the Psalms. Everything's the same until you get to Psalm 9. Then Psalm 9 in the um, Septuagint tent, uh, text is split into two Psalms. Okay, and then it rejoins together in the same numbering at Psalm 147 near the end of the of the book of Psalms. Um, so you'll also see that as well. And so for some kind of some conc uh, concluding reflections, and I hope you've enjoyed this little introduction uh, to the Psalms, and I hope that it helps you when we start diving into the Psalms next week to give you a deeper perspective on on the, the power of the Psalms working in our working in our lives every day. Well, and I love too for those that, as we of course don't know how some of the you know pentameter or you know some of the hidden words of how these were sung in the day. The thing I love in this day and age is we have internet and we have uh, websites like Praise Charts. Uh, there's worship tools that worship leaders use when there's a reading that's going on. I know I do this as a worship leader is, okay, if there's a certain psalm, what contemporary or hymns have been written that have interpreted that in multiple ways so that I have something to pull from so that we can get those psalms stuck in our head, right? And, you know, it's like the course, the earworm. If we're going to get an earworm of a song, why not let it be a psalm and know that, you know, there's been a Chris Tomlin or a Shane and Shane or a Matt Marr or someone who's taken it and made it more modern day so that we can have some kind of verse, some kind of chorus to go along with what we're going through. Because, I mean, we're talking about faith after the fall. I know for me, music is that recluse for me. When I'm feeling like I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. Having certain songs that I can play and lean into or or play as a musician and get back in that connection with God, that's the great thing about this day and age, using tools like the Internet for good. Find out what psalms are speaking to you and then songs that are attached to it, and then you've got your anthem. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So I just want to leave you uh, with a, a few things to think about as you're praying the Psalms. First, take time to memorize your favorite Psalms or recite them slowly and prayerfully or even pause during the, the private recitation of the Psalms to reflect on a particularly powerful uh, verse or a couple of lines that hit you. Uh, I do that all the time, which is one of the reasons I love praying the Psalms by myself because I get that time just to stop and just rest in God's word when a particular psalm hits you. So the psalms should become a wellspring of prayer, you know, for, for everyone. The psalms are not only the songs of prophets inspired by God. They're the songs of the whole church. And they, they are expressions of the church's deepest inner life. God has given himself to the church in the psalms as, in a sense, as through a sacrament. Right, because it's, it's meaning not one of the seven sacraments, but we're living sacraments of God's love in the world, and these psalms can act like, in a sense, sacraments or sacramentals in the life of the church as well. You know, the the tremendous impact of the psalms is buried at a very deep spiritual level, and we must pray them on that level in order to feel uh, those psalms, in order to really hear what God is saying to us through those psalms. You know, and, and so by singing the Psalms and meditating on them, by loving them and using them 
uh, in all the different aspects of our spiritual life. You know, uh, we're able to uh, enter more deeply into that active participation in the liturgy, which is the key and deepest and truest form of the interior life. And so let's talk about that for a second, the active participation. The word that's used in the Second Vatican Council is actuositatum, a deep, inner, richer participation. And so with that introduction, we'll dive into the Psalms next week. But our topic today is faith after a fall. And uh, we're going to be talking about that in this next segment. So give us a call at 833-288-3986 if you want to be part of the conversation. Or email us beacon at EWTN.com. that remind me of as you were playing that, that uh, the song was going through my i was trying to think where have i kind of heard that before da, 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 da. i can't remember maybe this is what the psalms would have been written to yeah, back yeah. in the day <laughs> give us some amps uh, somehow i don't think so oh man <laughs> well, you're you're listening to beacon of truth with deacon harold burke Sivers, and the show team is in the house Charles Berry, our social media expert, our call screener, Matt Kabinsky, and Ace McKay, the producer of the show today. And if you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email us at beacon at EWTN.com. want to let you know this afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern on EWTN Radio is Catholic Answers Live. Cy Kellett has not only been recently spotlighting the deacon, but uh, also a chance for you to catch up on anything you might need to know heading into the weekend. Uh, so find out more as you, of course, check it out at 6 o'clock Eastern here on EWTN Radio with Catholic Answers Live. All right. Well, today's topic is faith after a fall. And the first question you want to ask is, is personal sin greater than God's forgiveness? So if we're going to talk about faith after the fall, let's talk about the fall. Uh, so we all know what happened. You know, God created our first parents, and then Satan came along, and he his whole goal is to try to destroy covenant relationship with God. Right? Covenant relationship is we make a complete gift of ourselves in love to God, uh, and, and God gives himself back to us in love that is free and faithful and total and fruitful. So when Satan asked the question, uh, to Eve, he said, did God say you can't eat any tree of the garden? Why is he asked that question? He's trying to move our consciousness away from God, to form our consciousness away from God, to, 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 to not no longer point to our ultimate end and purpose, which is deep relationship with God, but to point to ourselves, to point to ourselves. Because what does that voice sound like today? Um, I don't need, you know, uh, uh, who who needs God? You know, um, uh, did God really say, question God's authority? Question God's authority, whether it's from your parents, um, whether it's from the church, whether it's from maybe you in a boss work, question authority. That That is the, 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 the seed of confusion that's planted. And then we know that, that she's already confused by that question because the question is designed to confuse because her answer um, we, we may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said, 
You should not eat the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God never said anything in Genesis 2 about touching the tree. Uh, he said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. So her answer is not exactly what God said. All right? But, but she got the last part right, lest you die. And, of course, Satan is the author of death, and he's a liar. So he lies to her. You will not die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. Now, lest you leave the show today thinking I'm blaming the woman for this, um, if, if, I, if, if I'm speaking to, if I'm in front of a group of people, and I say, hey, you, who would I be talking to? One person in that crowd or to the whole crowd? Well, you don't know. It depends on the context. But in other languages, there are other words. We have different words for you to show the distinction and differentiation between the different types of yous. So, for example, in Spanish, if I say tu, that means you as an individual. If I say ustedes, that means all of you as a group. Well, here in Genesis 3 where it says, when Satan says, you will not die for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will open, you will be like God. It's plural. It's plural. It's like ustedes. Uh, he's talking to both of them. And he's what is he saying? You don't need God because you're your own God. What does that voice sound like today? I don't need to follow what the church says on contraception or abortion or living together before we're married or going to mass on Sunday or holy days or any teachers of faith and morals. The ch in fact, the church should conform to my way of thinking. That's what we're seeing in our culture today. And as a result of that, we have the fall. What, 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 what are the effects of sin? They knew they were naked. So they're no longer seeing each other the way God sees them. They're no longer looking at each other through God's eyes. They're seeing each other as objects for pleasure and gratification. It says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And that's what we do when we sin. We hide from God's presence. God was looking for them. He's, Where are you? Where are you? And that's what sin hides our hearts from God. Huh? Because our hearts were made to be in relationship with God. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from that love. And, and, when, and what does the man respond? I was afraid. Ah, see, that's what sin does. It makes us fear. And that's why John says in 1 John 4, 19, that perfect love casts out all fear. So we have to learn to love more than be afraid. And then in Genesis 3.12, he blames his wife. Well, uh, I, I was pretty cool, Lord. I was here in the garden just hanging out. Everything's good. And then the woman who you gave to be with me, the woman who you put here, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. What happened to bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? What happened to that? Now he's blaming her. It's her fault. And that's what sometimes we do when we sin. We want to blame everybody else instead of looking at ourselves. We, we don't want to see that darkness within ourselves. We don't want to see the separation within ourselves. We want to point the finger and blame someone else. And then, of course, she, following her husband's lead, blames the snake. And here's one of the worst effects of the sin in, in Genesis 3, 16. Your desire shall be for your husband, he says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Malshal in Hebrew, which means to dominate. To have dominion over, to dominate like a tyrant. See? So these, these are the effects of the fall. 
And of course, through baptism, uh, we wash the the, the, the the original sin is blotted out. You know, it's like a like I mentioned it's a, before, it's a glass that's empty, and then the 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 water of baptism, in a sense, fills our souls with sanctifying grace, which is the grace we need to get to heaven. And sometimes when we sin, if we sin mortally, we've, we've lost that sanctifying grace. And we need to, to go back to the sacrament of reconciliation to receive the, the depths of God's love and God's mercy. Now, here's the thing. Look, we are all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners in need of God's mercy. You know, and sometimes the, 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 the flesh, um, uh, the, that battle between the flesh and the spirit, can sometimes cause us to do some bad things, uh, even if we're even if we're quote unquote good persons or good people. In Second Samuel chapter eleven and twelve, we see this happens to David, right? As I mentioned, the greatest king in the history of Israel, because he was the only king that never followed another god. But in Second Samuel, we see with this whole thing with Bathsheba, you know, where he uh, uh, he saw Bathsheba, he saw how beautiful she was. And despite the fact that she was already married, he was determined to have her for himself. And so he uh, has an affair with her and then has her husband killed. So David was a murderer and an adulterer. And uh, there was, uh, you know, and, the, and the son that was, the, the child that was conceived of that sin uh, was did not live, although Again, that, that, that whole episode prompted David to write Psalm 51. And the, the, pre, the precursor, the header of that psalm, uh, talks about the, this is the psalm that David wrote after his transgression with Bathsheba. And he asked for God's mercy and forgiveness. And very interesting, uh, very, when the prophet Nathan says to him, uh, when David admits his sin, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So he admits his sin, he confesses his sin. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, what does that mean? You're not going to die. Of course, he's, we're all going to die. But death means to cut yourself off from God's life. So what Nathan is saying to David, yes, okay, you have admitted your sin, and God will not cut you off from his life. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. Which means what? That our sins have effects in the lives of other people. You know, it's something that we have to, we have to remember. Um, so uh, we have uh, Tommy calling from uh, Pensacola, Florida, uh, has a question uh, or a statement he'd like to, to make. Um, Tommy, are you with us? Yes, and it really is a question. Uh, you know, I... I, I know that Father Mitch Pacwa, he says that Adam was present uh, when Satan tempted Eve. Uh, and you mentioned the word you, which is plural, but could he have not used that word when he was saying, okay, Eve, if you do this, you will open up humanity to wisdom like God. And the reason I question that Adam was there is because Satan would want to catch Eve at her weakest point. And that would be when Adam was not there, because otherwise 
Adam could strengthen her and convince her not to partake of the fruit. And, and Tommy, that's the point. Adam didn't do that. He didn't do his job. <laughs> that's the problem. He stood there because it, it's very clear in the Hebrew that it's plural, that it's you. He's talking to both of them. And note, and notice this also, Tommy. It's when she took the fruit and ate it, that's not when the fall happened. It's she gave some to her husband and he ate. Then after they both ate, they both fell. Why? Remember Genesis chapter 2. They were one flesh. So what was supposed to happen, Satan, why did Satan tempt Eve? Not because she was weak, but because she is a life giver and a life bearer. A woman has a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we men will never have or fully appreciate ever. Because by the very nature of how God created a woman, even if she never has a child, she becomes a nun uh, or, or a sister. By the very nature of how God created a woman, she has the ability to participate in the life-giving power of, of God. I, I remember this every Sunday we pray, Credo Espiritu Sanctus Dominum et Vivificantem. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Satan is the author of death, so he goes after the one who gives life, the woman. Her husband, his job, we saw from Genesis chapter 2, was to serve, protect, and defend. Abad and Shamar in Hebrew are the words in Genesis 2 that are used for, for what his role was supposed to be. Serve, protect, and defend. The point is he, when it came time to do that, he didn't do it. That's the point. And that's why the fall happened. So it was both their fault. In fact, what does it say in the exalted? Oh, happy fault of Adam. Of Adam. It was at, so in, in, in the exalted that we sing on, uh, on, on Holy Saturday during the Easter vigil, it says Felix, uh, Felix Culpa, happy fault, happy fault of who? Happy fault of Adam because he was supposed to defend his wife and he didn't do it. That's what makes the, whole, the Holy Family so beautiful, Tommy, because Joseph, who says nothing, right, he, 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 he uh, there's not one recorded word of Joseph in the entire scriptures, but Joseph's actions spoke loud in his word. He literally took that family to Egypt to defend them against Herod, right? I mean, so so that that's the idea that's going on there, Tommy. Uh, yeah, but if if Adam was there, if Adam was there, then that would almost have to tell us that. Satan knew the future. No, well, not, not necessarily that Satan knew the future, but what Satan was trying to do was destroy covenant relationship with God. And how does he do, how does he do that? By, by destroying the family, which is exactly what he's doing now. He's, tr he's going after the family. Look at all the attacks against the families today with this whole transgender and redefinition of marriage and all these different things. He's trying to destroy families because that is the, 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 the relationship that God... Look at the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, Revelation 19, verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. In a sense, the first sacrament, quote-unquote, I put it in air quotes, sacrament because it's not a sacrament yet in Genesis 1 where he establishes the covenant between a man and a woman. And, and the last sacrament mentioned in Scripture is marriage. 
So the, the book ends of scripture, when it talks about relationship with God, intimacy with God, is marriage, is family. And that's what Satan is trying to destroy. And, and the, her husband is supposed to protect that. Look, look what's happening today, Tommy. We got men who are looking at porn, who worship at the altar of sports and political talk radio and all this other garbage. And they're not serving, protecting, and defending their families. That's why we're seeing a lot of the issues that we're seeing in families today. That, that, that's what's going on. So, so Satan is, is uh, I think he div- he, he's the one who invented the word recycling because he hasn't changed anything uh, that he's done in the, uh, since the beginning. And that's why when David transgressed, he wrote Psalm 51, which is a psalm, again, that I use when I prepare for the sacrament of reconciliation, calling on God's love, calling on God's divine mercy to come in and bring healing when things have been broken in our lives. You know, and I, and I want to make sure that I, I address this issue of um, uh, div, uh, divine mercy as well. So let me let me just talk, share a, a true story with you about something that happened in my parish at Immaculate Heart. So um, the, the rubrics of the Mass say the deacon preaches occasionally or sometimes. Why? Because the priest is the pastor. He's the father of the family. He's the shepherd, and the sheep need to hear from the shepherd. The deacons were like the sheepdogs. You know, you, you hear from us sometimes. We're we're like the 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 the, the younger sons uh, in the family, right? And and so um, it was my it was I just happened to be preaching that weekend. And after mass, a young man came up to me and said he wanted to talk to me. And I said, Oh, okay, very good. And um, uh, so we went into the uh, the the rectory into the parlor, and he told me that he was um, you know same sex attracted. And that, um, you know, he, but he felt impelled to come back to church. He hadn't been to church for a long time, for a number of years. But he felt compelled to come back to church. And I said, well, praise God. Thank you, Lord, that, 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 uh, that, you, that you came back. Because look, what is sometimes the default position of falling away Catholics, people from faith? They don't know anything else. They got to go to church. Mm-hmm. And that's what this young man did. And so he went. And, uh, and I, he shared his story with me, and I told him how much God loves him and uh, how merciful God's love is. And I started working with him over the next few months because uh, he, he was very interested in coming back, back into the life of the church. And so we got to the point where I was preparing him for the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And I think we, we did a good job uh, getting him ready. And then I said, okay, now you're going to be going to confession and start really living the faith. Let, let's take a break for like six weeks, and let's meet again in about a month and a half. He said, okay, great. So then he, he, uh, he calls me after a month, after four weeks. He goes, it's not working. It's not working. Hmm. I said, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Okay, let, let's, let, let's get together. Let's meet. Let's figure out what's going on. So I said, what, what do you mean it's not working? What's going on? He goes, well, I did what you said. I prepared myself. I did a good examination of conscience. Uh, I went into the confession. I confessed my sins. I received absolution and, and, and God's mercy and forgiveness. But then I fell again. I said, okay, well, how long is it before you fall? He said, a few days. He goes, but I remember what you said. It, you know, it was a thing where I should not have been around this particular person. And I found myself with this person. And now I know that, you know, like, like you said, Deacon, if, the, if, if the, uh, your hand causes you to sing, cut it off. Uh, right? That's hyperbole that Jesus uses. That means if there's something in your life that's separating you from God's love, you need to get that out of your life, even if it's just for a short period of time. So he goes, I cut that person out of my life. I went back to confession, but then I fell again. 
Mm-hmm. I said, how long was it this time? He said, a week. But I fell again. How long was it this time? It was two weeks. I said, and I started laughing. He goes, what's so funny? I said, don't you see what's going on? The time between falls is getting longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. The more you empty yourself of that desire to separate yourself from God's love and you cooperate with the grace of the sacrament of reconciliation, God can fill you with his life. And that's what's happening. You're cooperating with God's love. The time between falls is getting longer. I said, you're fine. You're fine. You're picking up your cross and you keep moving forward. Yeah. I said, keep doing what you're doing. And he's doing extremely well today, by the way. That's awesome. Well, and what I love about that, too, is that, you know, I and I can speak from experience on this, too, is that God removes us from the circles and the people that were influencing us in those negative ways or holding us back in a, a blinded mindset, so to speak, and surrounding us with new people and new surroundings and new things so that we can. So it, it while sometimes there is, you know, it's that whole umbilical cord of our sin, you know, how quickly we cut, you know, there's still the blood trail. And then sometimes we go back to that and we have to, again, you, you know, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath. You know, you just take the bath. Right. And so I, I love that mindset of really thinking about that, that, you know, really is a baby step portion because you're coming out of old circles into new ones. Yeah, exactly right. And, and one of the things we have to do is you have to recognize what our triggers are. The trigger could be a person. Yep. The trigger could be a situation. Uh, like, for example, let me take myself, right? So I, I don't look at porn. I'm just going to just say that. I mean, I, 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 when I see a woman, I want to see her the way God sees her. Mm. I want to look at her through God's eyes. I think all women are incredibly beautiful because of the, the, the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit that's alive in them as life givers and life bearers. I never want to lose that perspective at all. But I'm a man. I can be tempted, mm-hmm. so you have to under. So I understand what my triggers are. So um, being on the computer late at night is not a good idea for me, you know. And, and so I make sure that when I'm I'm done with my work, um, that um, I'm off do- the computer and, and doing something else at that time, or um, before I turn the computer on, I say an Our Father, three Hail Marys, mm-hmm. Glory be to the Father, just like I'm starting the Rosary. And then I, I say a quick prayer, and right, uh, right around my desk right now, you can see this on YouTube, I have, you can see here, I have uh, a beautiful picture of the Blessed Mother, I have a crucifix here, um, I have another larger crucifix I got from the Holy Land by my desk, I've got picture, look, look, look whose picture I have here, Mother Angelica. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, I surround myself and my environment with people who inspire me, who people who always help me keep to stay close to Jesus. And that removes the triggers or the desires or the temptation I may have yeah. to separate myself from God's love. So we have to recognize those things with ourselves and rely on God's infinite devour, uh, and, and uh, powerful divine mercy. Well, and also think about this, that the enemy is much like a grenade. The devil comes in, pulls the pin, throws the grenade, walks out of the room. It's up to us whether we decide to stay in that debris and that smoke and haze and our, you know, our ears are ringing and, whoa, what just happened? Or do we just triumphantly, you know, we grab something that, you know, keeps us focused on God and that is what helps keep us from 
being among that debris, to even be affected by the grenades that he throws at us. And I, I, I totally am a fan of just as long as we're moving forward in the direction that God has pointed us, even when those grenades go off, we're aware of them, but we're, we know the sounds, right? We know the triggers so that we can go, nope, not for me, and you're out. Exactly. And having people in your life um, uh, that, that will help you. Because you, you talked about the grenade in the army, right? The, the Marines no, left, leave no one behind. Yeah. Leave no one behind. We're not in this by ourselves. Uh, God is with us. He's given us amazing priests uh, uh, and, and uh, deacons and, and clergy and, 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 you know, with, with great spiritual direction. You know, other people in our lives that will help us to stay on that right path or, or, or help pick us up yeah. when we fall. And help us to continue to move forward. Because look, look, even Jesus needed help carrying his cross. Mm -hmm. So what makes us think we could do this by ourselves? And I think that's what makes sometimes makes the fall, the fall, uh, giving it to the temptation of sin uh, so hard for us sometimes. Because we're like, ah, I was really going to try this time. Or, ah, I just give it. Or, ah, whatever it is, we get frustrated with ourselves. We get frustrated with ourselves. But again. The more we empty ourselves of sin, the more we desire and seek the face of the Lord and yearn for him, the more we desire to be in intimate union with with the Lord, the more we place ourselves in the situation of going to daily mass or praying the Psalms every day or or, uh, however, you know, uh, worshiping God with the gift of our lives, seeing God present in the person standing in front of us, uh, doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. The more we place ourselves in a situation where we're constantly in the mindful, aware of our relationship with God, the, the more we're, uh, we're able to recover from those falls a little more quickly. Because we're all going to fall. Like I said, we're, we are all sinners in need of God's love and God's mercy. All right. Well, you know, I, I have to say I, I am so grateful uh, to EWTN. This was a great first week. Um, I'm feeling more and more comfortable every single day. It's such an, a blessing to share the beauty of God's truth with each and every one of you. And our topic for the show next week is the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Uh, we're going to continue this theme. You know, the, the bishops are called for a three-year reflection on Christ's presence in the Eucharist. So we're going to take a look at that. Christ's real presence in the Eucharist. And don't forget, you can stream today's show by visiting Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great weekend.